Welcome to the Fitness Pain-Free Show, where I help physical therapists learn how to get their clients out of pain and back to training the gym. My name is Dan Pope, and I'll be your instructor. I'm a physical therapist, coach, and fellow meetup. I love training just as much as you do and want to help you get all of your patients out of pain and back to the gym where they belong. Hey, what's going on guys? This is Dan from Fitness Pain Free. Today we're going over a case study of a prior patient of mine who had femoral acetabular impingement and they were a power lifter. Alrighty, let's get rolling. So first and foremost, thank you so much for all of the support. You allow me to do what I love for a living. My name is Dan Pope. I'm a physical therapist, I'm a coach, personal trainer, and I am a meathead. This is the Fitness Pain-Free Show where we help coaches and physical therapists like you get your patients out of pain and back to training. If you're watching us on YouTube, please, please, please hit that like button, leave a comment, and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening via podcast, give me a positive rating and review. If you want to go that extra step and support me further, consider subscribing to Fitness Pain for Insiders. It's a comprehensive educational resource and toolkit for the fitness and rehab professional. Think Netflix, but for trainers and physical therapists. All the content is premium, and it's uploaded by me, yours truly. I've been updating this uh, once a month for the past five or so years. You've got over 100 webinars, ebooks, and complete guides. You have access to a private Facebook group to have all of your questions answered by me. You can also decide topics for upcoming podcasts, fitness pain-free shows. You can get started for just $1, right? So if you want a week-long trial, excuse me, trial, just $1. After that, it's a uh, subscription membership of $9.99 per month, so not very expensive. You can cancel anytime. So if you want to get started, head to fitnesspainfree.com, click on the programs link, and then click on Fitness Pain-Free Insiders Online Library. So first and foremost, we want to try to modify painful movements within the individual's training. And what we did, and this was pretty easy just because we didn't have any sort of deadline for upcoming competition, right? The athlete um, didn't need to get ready really quickly for something. So we just got rid of squats and we got rid of deadlifting completely, right? And that was awesome because that gives the individual the best possible chance to calm the area down and improve. On top of this, we also want to modify painful things within the individual's lifestyle, right? And I see this very frequently with FAI. Folks have pain when they're sitting, particularly driving, and some folks may drive for a living, and because of that, their hip is always painful. And I think oftentimes, if we can't modify that sitting position or sit less, then the symptoms just stick around. And that's, that's a bad place to be. So what we want to try to do is modify those provocative positions. So in terms of sitting, we want to sit as little as possible and or try to have frequent breaks from sitting. If you can, when you sit, slouch a little bit. So let the lower back round. What that does is it reduces the amount of flexion within the hip joint. Usually it reduces symptoms. If you sit in a nice tall seat, that also reduces hip flexion. If you sit with a little space between your knees with a little abduction, between your knees, this also tends to put the hip in more of a neutral position to reduce some of the compression around the rim of the ball and socket joint. You can utilize a standing desk. And in terms of driving, again, we minimize it as much as we can. Sometimes you can't because you have to do it for a living or you have to commute, whatever it is. Uh, try to have frequent breaks. I tell my patients try to lean back, recline their seat as much as they can, obviously safely because <laughs> you don't want to crash because you're leaning back so far. You can bring the steering wheel towards you right? If you have a tall seat, that helps. Try to raise the seat up as much as you can. And then also, if you need to, wedge the seat a little bit so that you have um, some sort of cushion under your butt and your hips are sitting higher than your knees, right? And lastly, just like with regular sitting, you can try to slouch a little bit. So flex the lumbar spine, get in a posterior pelvic tilt, create a little space in the front of the hip joint, right? So that's what we did. Next, 
we load the area. We have to restore that trust, right? We have to get stronger so the body doesn't feel like it has to create pain in the future, right? What was kind of nice is I was able to write his entire lower body strength program. And what's nice about this is that in, in some folks, they're trying to follow a given program. Let's say that's CrossFit. CrossFit's a big one. Um, and their program is just too much for their injury. And when that happens, and I can't modify things appropriately for them, their pain just kind of continues on, right? So he was not the person that did that. I was allowed to write all of his program, which is phenomenal, right? So what did his strength program look like for his hip? Well, we were training three times per week, and that consisted of compound movements, which we'll talk about in a minute. And two times per week, we were doing isolation work. So strengthening for the hip flexors, hip abductors, adductors, hip extensors, that type of thing, right? In terms of those compound movements we were talking about, it's a lot of single-legged strength, and I like to do this three times per week. And that all consists of some sort of split squat, single-legged squat, step-ups, and single-legged deadlifts. And we'll talk about this a bit more, but it usually starts off with these variations with minimal amounts of hip flexion. Just because end ranges of hip flexion are problematic, we want to start with minimal degrees of hip flexion. And the isolation work was consisting of different clam variations, uh, clam abduction, side plank variations, resisted flexion with bands, and adduction, kind of like your Copenhagen planks, typical stuff, right? So over the course of time, we progressed single-legged strength, so all those movements I just mentioned. How did we do it? We added depth to the movements, excuse me, depth. So from a split squat perspective, we started with a couple Eric's pads under that backside knee, so we're not going very deep. Over the course of time, we go knee closer to the ground. We take away some of those Eric's pads, and eventually we add a deficit just because we have to be able to tolerate end range hip flexion like you see in powerlifting, right? We also add more load. So we may start with body weight, and then we start adding a bit of weight on the contralateral side. I like to do this because it will train the stand side glute medius a bit more, and it won't be too much weight that irritates the hip joint generally. Eventually, we progress to two dumbbells, and then we progress to a barbell just because it's more load. And lastly, we start with less speed and we progress to more speed. So usually I'm, I'm doing slow repetition. So it's thinking like a, a two up or two down. Um, and then over the course of time, we progress to a regular tempo and then maybe explosive at the end, depending on the athlete. We didn't have to do too much of that for this, this uh, gentleman because powerlifting is not the fastest sport in the world. So in terms of mobility, right? And I see this, I think this is a misconception. Right? I'd like to see how some of these physical therapists actually treat and the outcomes for some of the folks they work with. Right? But when I'm treating someone that has FAI, I want to reduce the amount of hip flexion, internal rotation, and adduction mobility that I give them. Right? So I am trying not to push internal rotation or adduction right? Or hip flexion. I want to stay away from that range of motion because that is the provocative position. That's what causes trouble. Maybe over the course of time, I slowly progress to that motion, but definitely not at the start. Okay. So in terms of what we were doing is we were trying to promote mobility in other parts of the body so that the hip joint doesn't have to move quite as much to avoid that provocative position, right? So we did stretching five times a week, and those are kind of evidence-based guidelines, I have some other videos out there if you want to check those. And in terms of methods, uh, we use soft tissue work like foam rollers, like uh, balls. We do some stretching, mostly static stretching. And I love eccentrics for building range of motion. We focused on ankle dorsiflexion. We focused on thoracic extension. 
we focus on shoulder external rotation. And the reason why you do this is because when you go into a barbell back squat, you have to have relative shoulder external rotation. And if you don't have that range of motion, you'll try to get it by extending the lumbar spine more and extending the lumbar spine is going to bring the socket down into the ball and create extra impingement within the hip. So we have to make sure that we have good shoulder external rotation because this individual wants to get back to barbell movements in the future, right? And the last piece is that I will stretch the hip adductors, right? So the groin muscles, because if I am stiff in my groin muscles, especially at the bottom of the squat, it's going to pull my knees together and that's going to cause adduction, which creates impingement. So I want to make sure that I have the mobility in the adductors so I can keep my knees out nice and wide to avoid impingement in the bottom of the squat, right? And then I know I just said this, but I don't directly stretch the hip into flexion or internal rotation. I find that to be provocative. I think it hurts individuals. Um, and I'm not sure why this became so popular in the social media world. Um, doesn't make sense to me. And I think it probably irritates more hips than it helps to try to crank on that hip, especially if it's hurting. <clears throat> so we have to get back to squatting eventually, right? So I told you that first we took it out, right? And then over the course of time, we bring it back in. So we will do some sort of squat variation, let's say starting month two. Right? And we start with variations that are going to minimally flex the hip. Okay, And the frequency is going to start with one time per week. And eventually it's going to go to about two times per week. Because most powerlifting programs are going to have you squatting more than once per week. All right, And if you look at my hip pain and squatting modification ladder, I'll try to describe this as best as I can if you're listening to this on a, a podcast. Uh, I've got the variations that are easiest to the far right. So the easiest variation for the hip is going to be a split squat variant, followed by a goblet squat followed by a front squat, followed by some sort of safety squat bar squat, and lastly, a barbell back squat. And the reason why this is easy to hard is basically the amount of hip flexion that uh, the hip has to go through for each movement. So a goblet squat allows you to be nice and upright, and it reduces some of the compression in the front of the hip, right? And if you get to a, especially a low bar back squat, which most powerlifters will use, that's quite a bit of hip flexion, and it doesn't return until the end stages of rehab, right? And we spent about two to four weeks with each of these movements. So a couple weeks with split squats, a couple weeks with goblet squats, a couple weeks of uh, front squat. And how fast you progress is really going to base, be based around your symptoms, right? How well you're doing. And if it takes a little bit longer, that's okay. If it's a little bit faster, that's also okay, right? So there's a lot of ways to do it. In terms of returning to deadlifting, so this was the individual's choice. This was the athlete's choice. It wasn't mine. He decided to do conventional deadlifting for the long term, right? Reason being is because he's done a lot of conventional deadlifting in the past and actually feels quite strong there. He doesn't feel as though the sumo made him much stronger. And at least for him, he thought it was more at risk and he didn't necessarily want to push it. And that's fine. I'm a-okay with that. I will say a lot of athletes love sumo and they want to go back to it over the course of time. Uh, this athlete did not. So it was a lot easier to get him back to deadlifting because conventional deadlifting felt fine. He had no problems. And conventional deadlifting feels usually pretty good because there's no extreme hip external rotation and abduction, which will cause more impingement. So it's much more hip friendly exercise, right? And generally speaking, I like to deadlift around one time per week. That's what we put in his program. And this is just my given programming style. I'm sure that he could have handled more if it was someone that uh, likes to put more deadlifting in a given program. So in terms of technique adjustments here, so initially we unloaded the hip. We weren't doing any squatting. We weren't doing any deadlifting. So I didn't adjust technique at the start. But eventually, we want to make sure we get back to squatting in an optimal squat stance. And the way I check this, and I have a lot of videos on this if you snoop, uh, snoop around my site, we put someone on their back and we go into hip flexion, 
right? And we see which degree of horizontal abduction and external rotation gives them the most range of motion. And then we have them squat with that same stance. And what we're probably doing with that test is we're assessing the shape of the ball and socket joint and we're finding where there's the most motion. And that's usually where there's the least amount of impingement too. So um, our individual here was actually already squatting in that position. So that was great. We didn't have to modify his stance very much. But we did use something called a body track. And let me move my head so you can kind of see this on the YouTube version. So anyway, we have a mat that's called a body track and you can squat on it. And what it does is it gives you biofeedback in real time. So you can see a screen and it'll show you how much weight you have on your left leg versus your right leg. And it'll show how much weight you have on the front of the foot versus the back of the foot, right? And this is just a clip of our athlete getting back to squatting in a goblet squat. And what you'll see is that his left side where the pain is, he actually shifts over to his right a little bit right? And you can actually see yourself squatting at the same time, which is phenomenal. So the athlete can make the changes in real time. They can see where they've got weight on the left versus the right. And they just try to be as symmetrical as possible, right? It's really nice. If you don't have the body track, you can just use your eyeballs, right? As a coach, you can kind of see what's going on and also a mirror. So the athlete can see this as well. And if they don't have a mirror available, you can use your phone and just flip it so you're recording. And also uh, video biofeedback is amazing. So uh, record yourself and look at it afterwards and see if you notice a difference side to side. And just over the course of time, we try to clean it up. What you may find in folks that have uh, FAI, uh, hip impingement, is that they will toe out on the painful side. And oftentimes this is subconscious. And the reason why they do it is probably because a more externally rotated hip position pinches a little bit less. So if you're seeing that with your athletes, then I would consider A, maybe that's a better position for that individual, or B, they just formed a bad habit when they were squatting with a bunch of pain, right? So make sure you take a look at that. Like I had said before, Jonah squats with a nice neutral lower back, right? And the reason why it's important is if we're in a lot of anterior pelvic tilt, if we really extend the lumbar spine, that'll increase compression in the front of the hip. And I will change that in athletes that do excessive extension in the bottom of their squat and their deadlift. Um, our individual wasn't doing that, so there was no need for that, right? So let's put my head back here, move back and scroll down. So in terms of technique adjustments for the squat, it really returned without issue, right? And we decided not to make a large long-term change in his technique. And one of the reasons why is because we think we both kind of put our heads together to figure out why his hip hurt in the first place. Uh, first and foremost, it didn't seem like the squat was the thing that hurt him. It was more of the sumo deadlift, right? The other piece is that he's, he's kind of a novice powerlifter and he was doing a high volume powerlifting program. And the reason why he got hurt could be completely because his body just wasn't ready for the sumo position with high volume, high intensity. And as he was peaking in the program, things started to hurt, right? So... What we did do is modify his training program. We'll talk about that in the next few slides. Uh, the other thing that we talked about from a technique perspective is that when he comes out of the hole in the deadlift and the squat, his hips will shoot up and back a little bit. And I think this is just your body finding the strongest position. And oftentimes the hips and lower back are stronger than the quads. And because of that, the hips will shoot back and up. So what we wanna to try to do uh, for our patient in the future is to get his quads as strong as possible. So when he's coming out of the hole in the squat, there's no need for his hips to come back, right? Because he has the strength in his quads to stay upright and drive out of the hole, right? 
So in terms of accessory exercises, we chose squat uh, exercises that are going to reinforce better position coming out of the hole. So I like pause squats, I like squats to pins because we're focusing on what happens once we get out of the hole or the hardest part of the lift, making sure those hips don't come back and up. And we're also choosing accessory exercises that strengthen the quads because those are gonna keep the torso upright when we squat, right? In terms of the sumo deadlift, like I said, uh, he decided to conventional deadlift for the long term, and that was a personal choice, right? Um, he's gotten back. Um, oh, sorry, I, I kind of don't know what I've written here. <laughs> Apologize, but um, I have gotten other people back to the sumo deadlift after they've had uh, hip impingement, right? Um, it is an at-risk position. Uh, one of the first questions I ask powerlifters when they have hip pain, I'll ask them if they do sumo deadlift because that is a movement that is a little tough on the hip. So I'd say it's an at-risk exercise, but it doesn't mean you can't get back to a sumo without pain. Or, it, you know, for some folks, we end up modifying their sumo stance a bit to be a little nicer on the hip. Uh, but this individual had no problems getting back to conventional deadlifts. So in terms of program adjustments, this was really important, um, and it was it was a good conversation because this coach um, is a strength coach. He, he writes programming for a living, so he fully understands this, and uh, I think he can really do well in the future to keep him from getting hurt. So some folks that don't um, understand programming, they have a harder time with this concept. But in general, we decided to make sure that he doesn't have a really high squat frequency and also volume in the future. So basically one to two times per week will be kind of his frequency for squatting. In terms of volume, three to five sets is probably a good place. Five is on the top end of volume in terms of what he's able to tolerate. And if you're going to be doing high volumes in your training program, uh, you probably only want to touch on these higher volume periods uh, for maybe a few weeks or months at a time. And then over the course of time, you go back to lower volumes to make sure the hip isn't getting irritated. And when we make a jump from a low volume program to a high volume program, just have to make sure you do it really slowly over the course of time, right? And then I do this for my own hip because I have FAI and I just discuss this with the patient too. In your off season, when your squat isn't as important, right, as the in season, uh, you can drop the frequency down to one time per week on squats and see if that's a good place to make improvements without irritating things over the course of time. So, and we just gave some general advice on how to progress back to sumo if this individual wanted to over the course of time. So just a slow progression back over the course of time if desired. And then the other piece is that um, if you do want to do a lot of sumo pulling, consider maybe only pulling for four to six months out of the year with sumo uh, so you can peak for a competition. And then when you're done with your competition in the off season, you can go back to your conventional because at the end of the day, your conventional deadlift will build the sumo. And for folks that have a lot of pain in the hip and the sumo, um, and they just keep getting hurt over and over again when they keep on trying to sumo, uh, I do recommend that they switch to a conventional, at least for the off season. And then when they are sumoing, just keep in mind, you're not going to do that for too long a period of time because the hip might start hurting as a result. And lastly, uh, we didn't have to do this, but it's important to talk to a doctor <laughs> if things are not moving in the right direction. So if you're able to, find a local trusted surgeon that will um, try not to push surgery as a first option unless it's absolutely warranted. So you're going to have to do your work as a provider, you know, as a physical therapist to make sure that you know what the surgeons are telling your patients. And uh, for our athlete, we didn't have to go there, but I do think it's really important that if around three months or so, you're not making any progress, you're just spinning your wheels and the rehab is good and they're staying away from provocative positions, it's probably good to go see the doc, um, get some imaging, maybe go down that route of surgery uh, if the doctor thinks so, right? Good. 
In terms of how future sessions went and how discharge went, uh, I just advanced strength work over the course of time, uh, and we got more specific to the demands of powerlifting. So the exercises uh, eventually got to deeper levels of hip flexion, like we talked about. We increased the loads over the course of time. Uh, this individual I didn't see very frequently because we actually started during COVID times, right? And these were all virtual appointments. So uh, he, this individual is actually a friend of mine, so it was it was pretty easy to, to give advice and figure things out. It uh, wasn't that challenging. Um, so over the course of time, we met up every two weeks or so. We advanced the exercises. We were seeing how things were going. He would do videos of his technique, and I'd give him some, some ideas of things to work on. The entirety of physical therapy probably lasted around four to five months, right? And then about two years later, he currently feels really good. You know, his hip doesn't bother him. He does feel that he has to be smart. If he's not smart, if he does too much of anything, it tends to bug him, but generally has no issues. So uh, far and away, I'd say he's a success. Not everyone goes this way, right? But he ended up doing quite well with it. So that's what we did. And that's it. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the support. If you are watching this on YouTube, please give me a thumbs up. I'd love to hear comments. How do you treat FAI? What do you do the same? What do you do differently? If you're not already, please, please, please subscribe. If you're listening to this via podcast, give me a positive rating and review. If you want to support me that much further, head over to fitnesspainfree.com. Click on the programs link. Click on Fitness Pain Free Insiders Online Library. Sign up, sign up for that, and I appreciate that as well. Thanks a lot, and I'll see you on the next one.